listening to Nerds on Film with Brian Moriarty, Sarah Ashley, Sean Moriarty, and Roxy Noberry. All right, so am I the only person here who has not seen Straight Outta Compton yet? <gasps> I think pretty much, yes. Okay. Sarah, you are a woman on her own island. I'm sorry. I, I am. <laughs> I, I will join that island because I oh. haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, okay. So I'm not the lonely one here. <laughs> uh, I'm not huge into rap music. And, I, and I'm going to be honest, I knew nothing about NWA really going in other just, than just who the people were. Sure. And it, I was, it was awesome. Like, it was yeah. such a moving story. Really, really, truly eye-opening mm-hmm. about understanding, like understanding rap culture, understanding its roots. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole story was just—it was awesome. Yeah. I loved the conversation that we had on the text thread earlier about some of the portrayals and um, what each of us kind of felt was a really strong portrayal of a certain character versus a more sort of like cartoonish caricature version. I think Sean, you kind of um, hit it on the head with the actor who portrayed uh, Suge Knight. Yes. He really, he, I don't know. I mean, I personally was pretty taken aback by his portrayal and I was intimidated and scared of the character. I think that was accomplished. But for those who really are familiar with the real Suge Knight, I don't know, Sean, how did you really feel about how I he felt, did? I felt like the actor that played Suge Knight, he looked very much the part. Sure. And I'm pretty sure that that's what. Uh, what led to his casting is like, oh, we just got to shave this guy's head and he grows a beard and he looks just like Suge Knight. But if you are well learned on, um, and if you guys want to do some research yourself, there's a great set of documentaries out there called Beef Mm -hmm. and they are documentaries about um, different um, people that had beef with each other in the rap industry, especially throughout the 90s, early 2000s. And if you know about the way that Suge Knight really acted, then the guy who played him in this movie kind of just seems like a really good theater actor who just so happened to look like him and they're like, let's put him in here. But the way that he delivered his lines, especially the way he pronounced his words and the way he said things was nothing like the real Suge Knight. And that's the only part that took me out of it. Other than that, the movie was super solid, though they did leave out a lot of parts of the conflict between all those guys once they kind of split up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You know, you're going to leave out certain things and put in certain things. And I've, I've heard a lot about the misogyny being left out of that movie and like you didn't see how but like Dr. Dre hit his woman at one point all this stuff but mm. I think they did a decent job of showing the misogyny because there was that scene where they had the party in uh, in the hotel and that that I, they did not treat the ladies there very mm-hmm. well and that was very reminiscent of the culture back then yeah. in the 90s well, it, was, it wasn't sure. just that Dre hit his woman one time it's that Dre hit several women many times yeah, and he yeah. Really, no I know but that <laughs> It was, but it was also, you're talking about you're talking about a movie that was produced by Dr. Dre and Ice Cube, and oh, that yeah. there are so many different legacies that need to be upheld sure. throughout this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the problem with Suge Knight is that they they were trying their best not to piss him off, even though he did show up to a shoot for a commercial for the movie, and then drove his car over someone's head anyway <laughs> apparently he panicked God. and he backed out of the place like really? there was a confrontation and he was on probation so uh he Yikes. tried to get the hell out of dodge asap and ended up actually hitting somebody oh my god oh, and, uh, so he's back in prison the story yes. i heard was that he straight up drove over someone's head on purpose but <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> it's open to interpretation yeah. <laughs> holy cow i wasn't there i know it wasn't me <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> All right. Have have you guys seen anything else in theaters? I've been I've been I under a, a rock. What did you see? I saw Man from Uncle. Oh, oh yeah, I saw Man from Uncle Brian. too. Actually, wasn't it just a sixties? Yeah, like 
awesome throwback. I mean, it was fun. fun. Time. It was definitely fun. Um, and yeah, it was great. Very tongue in cheek, not unlike most Guy Ritchie movies. Yeah. Um, I think it's just it's very interesting seeing what it's like as Guy Ritchie has gotten further in his career as the studio has given him more money to play with because his look has changed a bit. Um, mm. Like when you come, if you compare the Sherlock Holmes movies and Lock, this one, Lock, Stock, and Smoking Barrels. Oh my well, God. if you compare the, the more recent ones to Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels yeah. and Snatch and yeah. some of the other earlier movies, I think the earlier ones have a slightly grittier, more kind of a indie feel to them. Yeah. And it's partially because it, they were kind of indie. Like, I mean, they were funded, sure, they were produced, but they, but it's just like, he's just like, I've got all the money now. So we're going to do like advanced, like, you know, drone shots or crane shots yeah. or whatever they're doing. Just the, he moved the camera a lot and did a lot of really cool car chase stuff. And lots of cool car chase stuff. Yeah. And the chemistry between Army Hammer and Alicia Vikander um, yeah. was really awesome. And it was really refreshing to see um, Henry Cavill out of his Superman suit. Yeah, yeah. And, and well, was, we've only seen it, him in it once. I mean, he did plenty before that. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, uh, me personally, I'm always going to associate him as the Man of Steel these yeah, days, sure. you know? And, totally. Uh, he fits so perfectly into that. And I ho- I'd hate to see him kind of get typecast, you yeah. know? It's just, it's very funny because we're living in a time where if this were made... 30 years ago, you would have cast the British actor as the Russian. Yeah. You'd have another British actor playing, again, another foreign character. But you'd always cast the American as the American. Yeah. It's just, it was a, just a very common thing you would see wow. in action movies. And now it's all shook up. It's like, all shook up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I kind of thought, appreciated that Cavill was kind of like an American Bond. I got that oh, very, yeah. like... More like Archer, if anything else. <laughs> yeah. sure, maybe not as crass as Archer, yeah. but definitely got the, the swinger kind of and jet setter. Chin. The, the butt chin. I yeah. really want to see The Man from Uncle. I know it's very well reviewed, but sadly, pretty much took a nosedive at the box office. Yeah. Aww. Maybe it was the the time that it was released, Brian. Maybe that was why <laughs> it didn't do so well. You know? What do you think? Thoughts? Oh, just, Fetty, just to explain, <laughs> there's a running gag on the show that Brian made a comment once about a movie being maybe not so awesome, so it was probably a late August release. Oh, I thought it was, I would have expected it to be a late August release. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so now, <laughs> then we actually just recently did an episode about timing. And on, guess when it was released? It was released in late August. It was, yeah, We're August so 31st, clever. Yeah. So, <laughs> Let's just all just yeah. circle jerk ourselves. We're so happy with ourselves. <laughs> God, I'm so proud of us. One big high five. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> and on that note, everybody, welcome to Nerds on Film. I'm Sean Moriarty. I am Brian Moriarty. I'm Sarah Ashley. I'm Roxy Noberry. And joining us tonight, a super special guest. We're really excited to have him on. Uh, this dude has worked on visual effects in games. He's been the man behind the magic on a lot of Marvel films and a lot of high-profile games. So we want to welcome to the podcast, Fetty Ponce. Woo! Round of applause. Woo! Big nerdy round of applause, everybody. All right. Yeah, this is you. You are, I think, aside from Mike Davis from the Warp Zone, you are the first industry professional to be on our podcast. So we're we're actually really excited to have you here. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Um so I, I I think for our listeners, like why don't we just like start with how you got into this game in the first place and then go from there. Sure, sure, sure. Um it was actually it's kind of a long story, but the uh, short version of it is that I actually started doing uh, old school gouache and acrylic paintings for movie posters. I was in working in a small shop in Pasadena, and we were doing that kind of stuff. And 
that was my first very first job in entertainment and i loved it but it was it was crazy man like really late hours and just really hard work no control z uh, you know it was, <laughs> yeah no it was it was uh, it was something uh, but ever so often, we would get visits from, you know, very high profile people and they would just walk by and kind of look at the art. And, you know, I never actually got a chance to speak with them, but I was so blown away by that entire uh, sort of creative atmosphere. Um, and then and then slowly, you know, we started using Photoshop and we started rolling into video games. And it was it was really interesting because at that time, um, you know, it, it was sort of like, I don't know if you guys remember, like, it was toward the end of the 90s, beginning of the 2000s, where video games were pretty big, but they weren't still, like, mainstream. Like, there was still, like, Hollywood was kind of on top kind of thing. Yeah. And video games were starting to take that lead. Um, so this agency was actually pretty good in, in sort of seeing the future, and they were, you know, pretty, really focused in gaming. So they we moved away from film, we went into gaming, and I started doing... Uh, covers for video games or uh, working on covers with a team, things like that. And then, you know, that, that was pretty cool. But, but at some point I was like, mm, well, this is, this is kind of cool. But, um, you know, this sort of 2D thing is, is print's not going to be around for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was lucky enough to um, talk to a buddy of mine who was starting a motion graphics company at the time. And man, the, what that was a trip. I mean, they had this beautiful building and then, you know, just plastic tables with some Macs on top of it. And he was like, yeah, this is it, man. This is where the magic happens. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> this is Much it. like our podcast. We just have these Macs laid out and it doesn't look like much, but... Mm. That's where the magic happens. It sure does, yeah. man. There's, there's uh, you know, there's something about like that kind of like unbridled passion and, and just just intensity about the work that that really does create something so i joined these guys and and we started uh doing trailers and it was it was really interesting because you know looking back like when i was at the at the moment i didn't really see any of this i was just like oh this is cool yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but you know looking back now it's sort of it seems like a natural transition because we actually started doing a lot of trailers for video game movies so we did oh. um nice. we started with hitman and that was like the first adaptation and we won a few awards for that. Nice. And wow. we had this understanding about movies that some other agencies didn't seem to have. It was sort of like we had like a fresher outlook on them. We understood the gaming community. We understood the transition between those two worlds. So we sort of had an edge um, against our competitors. And so we started doing a lot of trailers for basically all the superhero movies. We started with the first Iron Man. And that was a trip too because... You know, people look at Marvel movies right now and they're like, oh, my God, you know, they're two hundred forty million dollars and they're amazing. And every single movie they make is gold. And that is true to a certain extent. (laughs) (laughs) But it all started with a really risky proposition with Iron Man, with the first Iron Man. Yeah, right. Because he was such an obscure comic book character. He's not obscure, but he was not what you would think of when you would think of if you're going to launch Marvel as a studio. Right. Like you would you would think, well, why aren't we leading with like Captain America or why aren't we leading with like, you know the Hulk or something. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of a gamble. And, and, you know, sorry to interrupt, but the thing is like that no, Iron Man, w- whether this was planned or not, um, the introduction of Iron Man into the film business was, it was particularly interesting because at the time, uh, the rendering power and the visual effects sort of concentration was on making metallic things look real and mm-hmm. uh, concrete and just very man-made uh, sort of surfaces. You know, we, we were getting very close to getting those to be photo real. So it was a very 
you know, a sort of easy transition. If you take a look at Ang Lee's Hulk, you'll know what I'm talking about, where we didn't master skin and then, you you know, a lot (laughs) more. No, 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 no. That looked like Shrek on a bender. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so, so, you know, when they introduced Iron Man, you know, they like the technology was right. The look was right. And then you had this anti-hero that was sort of massaged properly so that he could be likable. It was a perfect storm. But, you know, a lot of people didn't know and didn't see it that way when it was first coming out. So we jumped on that. And we started doing all the trailers and we started doing all the advertising for it, uh, for TV. And, and then it just sort of took off after that. We, we started doing all the other superheroes. We, didn't, we did Hancock. Can I say you did an amazing job? Because the first trailer I saw for Iron Man sold me immediately <laughs> and got me so excited, I lost my mind. I was like, oh, my God. And you know what? Nailing a trailer is super difficult because you have to walk that line of not revealing too much while still showing people what they're going to see. And even though a lot of people these days do show you too much, I see these four-minute trailers sometimes where I'm like, oh, okay, I've seen the movie. I don't need to go see it It was anymore. like Cinderella. Yeah, and it was really impressive because like, looking at the effects in that film and knowing that Robert Downey Jr. is not really ever in a full Iron Man suit, except for maybe like one or two shots. Like the blending of the of the prosthetic pieces they built for like the helmet mm-hmm. blends so well with the the computer graphics. It's like it's seamless, and it's like at that point you're like, I don't I don't know. I just see a guy in a robot suit who's flying, <laughs> and I am uh, rock hard right now. <laughs> I mean, well, isn't that isn't that the that's like the trick with all filmmaking and all storytelling in general is the suspension of disbelief, you know? Yeah. And so when you have the visual effects to to back it up, then it's just you, it's tra- you transport the yeah, audience. And we we had an episode previously about practical versus CGI effects, mm-hmm. and you know how the movie industry really strives to somewhat combine both worlds in a yeah. really cool way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love how you know your work, Betty, has really tried to complement that. If we have some time later, I'd love to touch on that—the practical versus digital—because it's a phenomenal and really, really deep and interesting conversation. But but um, but yeah. So going back to the. To the story, long story short, it was sort of like a natural evolution through entertainment. And then um, and then what started happening is like, if you do something good in Hollywood, then you just keep doing it and then you become that guy. And then what started <laughs> happening is like, like, like I started getting clients that said, you know, it was like, think of a, a, a romantic notebook, like the notebook or something. And they're like, oh my God, we want to market it toward, you know, gamers and teens. Can you make it very, very like superhero-ish? And I'm like, what? <laughs> 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 it was like nonsense. So, um, and then you yeah, just it, blink it at weird, them man. and like, you say, they, sure. They wanted to market a lot of stuff that was not superhero That's crazy. Based. It's like, can you make Silent Hill into a superhero story? <laughs> <laughs> a rom-com? Right. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. We want to see Judd Apatow's version of Silent Hill to make that into a trailer. <laughs> that's really weird. I kind of want to see that now. That's really strange. Right. But I mean, that's that's such the story of Hollywood, though, right? You have one movie that the studio's not sure about that they, you know, they take a risk on. It makes a fuck ton of money, mm-hmm. and then there's just like, let's do, let's, fuck, can we do the Shaggy Dog as a superhero? Let's do the Shaggy Dog as a superhero. <laughs> you know, just like it, just they just start spewing out. And we've seen, thankfully, Mar- Marvel has been really wise, and they've delivered really, really 
for the most part, very strong projects. Yes. Some people, the, the jury's out in the Ant-Man for a lot of people. Oh. Uh, I enjoy, I enjoy, I, I really enjoyed Ant-Man. Y'all can kiss my hairy Irish ass. <laughs> I enjoyed it too. I'm just saying that there are people out there who didn't. And um, I'm sitting right next to you. Yeah. <laughs> I, so. I, I was liked, directed at you, Sarah. I liked it. I just felt it was a little lazy. That's all. And sexist. <laughs> Um, Sorry. <laughs> so, and it's cool because, I mean, you're essentially riding that wave now, right? Like, you get to, I mean, you're getting a ton of work because of of that. And I know also studios don't like to shop around either. So if you deliver on a big moneymaker, they want to keep using you over and over again. Is that correct? Right. Well, that's that's exactly the point. So what happened was I, I actually left. It, it, it was it became sort of like really cookie cutter, uh, very formulaic yeah. and, and just extremely boring work for me personally, not for mm. anybody else. I, I can only speak for myself and, and the little amount of work that I did. But um, I just, you know, I, I didn't really enjoy being uh, just doing that one type of work. So. So I left and I started doing more motion graphics stuff, which is a little bit more artistic, a little bit more design based. And I went on to do some TV stuff. And then and then that kind of slowly, you know, like once you get to a certain plateau with VFX, then you're required to be on set because that makes things easier later. And then and then you start doing things on set and you see things you, that you don't like. And then people are like, oh, this guy kind of knows what he's talking about. Let's have him direct. <laughs> And then you start directing, and then and then you know you realize you haven't you don't know what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> but then you do it, you do it, and like it kind of looks good, and people are like, "Oh, the guy really knows." And you're like, "Yeah, I, uh, I kind of just faked the whole thing, but it worked." So and then you right. know, so, <laughs> yeah. So what's your transition been like going from you know your previous work into directing? It's it's really it's really difficult because even though you're doing something in one so this is what happened to me. I, I've been doing entertainment for almost 15 years, right? And I thought, oh my god, I, it's it's entertainment, it's movies, it should be the same thing. It's not. Every time you transition to a parallel or to you know a different sort of paradigm within the same industry, it, you got to start from scratch. And and there's a system to that, and and you know you have to go through the same thing. Like you have to learn the rules so you know where you can bend them, and and you get comfortable. But um, the way that I am creatively is I I, I kind of have like this superpower that I call uh, blissful ignorance. So <laughs> I just go blind. That's a super superpower, man. It's definitely needed in the industry that you're in these days. Well, I I like to go in cold. I like to just not know anything. Just go in That's cold. That's awesome. Uh, you know, just lend my ears to anybody that's willing to give me advice, learn, absorb like a sponge and, and, you know, make a ton of mistakes. That's, I think, and I think that's the thing. It's like, I have shot my own stuff. I've created my own stuff and it's been horrible. And it's, it's been, you know, I spent like eight months of my life putting pieces of work together that will never show anybody. And <laughs> that, that I, yeah. you know, I took out the hard drive, put it in the microwave because I don't want anybody to find that. <laughs> but but yeah. um, while I was doing it, I thought I was doing a good job. But but the the, the point is that um, I was never afraid. I'm never afraid to take a risk. And and I think that is something that should accompany anybody that's trying to be creative. The minute oh, yeah. you get comfortable, or the minute like a studio or whoever patron wants to keep you doing the same thing, you, you got to jump shit. Yeah, and One of the it. best quotes I'd ever heard when I was in film school was, uh, you can't have art without risk. Expecting art without risk is like expecting there to be children without having sex. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, I mean, and I think, yeah, it, just, it takes a lot of bravery. 
uh, a lot of balls to be able to a lot of chutzpah, chutzpah <laughs> some to, moxie maybe to yeah. to just really just want to like jump in and just like learn as much as possible and that's I mean that's awesome like and that's that's usually the people who are not afraid to do that are the ones who are the more successful ones so mm-hmm. that's awesome well you know I think there's also there's also a sort of biological process associated with it and bear with me guys I'm mm-hmm. gonna get real nerdy here but oh, yeah. oh welcome do to it. the cave buddy <laughs> but what happens is like basically to me just and again this is just my own personal experience but if you go into some if it's a certain situation and you put yourself under the fire right like I've been in situations where I'm required to to do a certain special effect or to do something on set that I'm not familiar with, and I'll still jump into the opportunity because what that does is it puts your mind at a really heightened state of awareness, and you're really sharp, you're really focused, and like I said, you're really open to suggestions, and your ability to make decisions in you know split seconds is the difference between you know that and somebody that's sort of in the cozy secure systematic way of doing things it, it becomes more yeah. rigid so so there is a sort of adrenaline based uh, fuel associated with with being in that state of mind and and i think it's precious and you have to embrace it you have to learn to be uncomfortable and those things you know sort of push you beyond and that's where the best nice. growth happens it, it does honest. it really does yeah. pain painful growth for sure yeah. <laughs> yeah and you said that uh you said that you had to make a bunch of mistakes and i think that's a lot of uh, that's a thing that a lot of people getting into this industry don't realize is that you can only become great by making all these mistakes it's a learning process i mean think about like all i mean you you see star wars but you don't see all of the speed bumps that george lucas hit sure before he got to star wars you know everything is a learning process and everything is a learning process when it comes to making art you know mm-hmm. you can't have art without craft and that's really i think what everybody is doing is you're playing at your craft and if you were really really lucky you occasionally get to make something that you're like you can look back at and go wow how the hell did that come together? You know, <laughs> absolutely. That's that's the muse of inspiration. That's why she's so sought after. You know, it's it's because it's mm-hmm. something that it's really strange. It doesn't it doesn't belong to you. You can't call it whenever you want. It just comes to you after a certain amount of of effort and time. And you know, there there was a very um, an incredibly smart guide and teacher that I had a long time ago when I was younger. And he said to me, because uh, I, I was trained as a classical illustrator and sculptor. That was my original training. And he, you know, he, he used to say to me, you have 5,000 paintings and 5,000 sculptures, just horrible, terrible sculptures and paintings, um, you know, if, within you. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, you're horrible. You got 5,000 of these. I'm like, what? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, so you better hurry and paint your ass off and sculpt your ass off so you can get him out. So think about oh, that yeah. for a second. So what that means is just, it's just mileage. You just... Do it and do it and do it. And you don't do the repeat without asking yourself, you know, how to improve. You, you do a smart improvement, but, but it, it just comes down to mileage and doing it and doing it and doing it and risking and risking and risking. And eventually, like you were saying, you get something good. Right. And because as you keep that repetitious process, you eventually say, oh, wait, why am I doing it that way? Only well, I can do is do it this way. And these little over these time, these little adjustments you make ultimately make you into a better, better artist because of that. So then, so then, where does the journey go from there? So you've you've gotten into directing now. You've you've been starting over. You've been working hard at it. Like so, then where does that go? Sure, absolutely. So, um, so the directing process is a little bit more complex. I mean, ma- ma- making movies for me has been one of the most complicated, 
artists and hard you know it's it's very difficult this 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 industry is very difficult and uh you know part of that journey again was that i had to re-educate myself i i've always ever since i was little i've always had a passion for writing as well but i never thought i could make a living out of it so i never took it seriously but obviously as i grew older that sort of became a little bit more of a intimate part of my creative life having said that going back to your question so where does you know what does all this have to do with it is that I had to sort of sit back and say, all right, I have to start from scratch. What is the best possible thing I can do to start and, and start well? And so what you do, and, and this is sort of uh, an advice, again, that somebody else gave me that, that worked out, is if you want to immerse yourself in something, what you do is you look out for the best of the best, okay? You submerge yourself and you surround yourself with the best of the best, and you just go ahead and get in contact with them and, and, and just train with those people. And so that's what I did. I called up the phone. I emailed. I must have emailed and called hundreds of producers and writers and all these people. And nobody would, you know, who are you? You're Fatty Pons. You're nobody. And, mm. and, but eventually, persistence, again, persistence. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, eventually I was able to contact uh, Berta Navarro, who's a producer for Guillermo del Toro. And I showed her some of my work and she was like, all right, you know, kids got a little bit of, uh, you know, something glimmers of hope. So she was very sweet and very kind and, and nice. took me, yeah, took me into her, uh, workshop. And there I met just, it just opened the floodgates. I may, I met, you know, Oscar winning writers and just people on another caliber. And, uh, you know, it was an incredible experience for me so then after that i was like okay i need more i need more <laughs> so, so then i i went to london and i i uh, i was chasing some writers over there and 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 was able to hang out with them and talk to them and, and talk about our projects and then i went back to mexico and i chased down some incredible writers in mexico so i was just chasing people all over the globe literally and meanwhile wow. i mean I, it was exciting it's it's been like one of the best parts of my life but at the same time, like, you know, I could see my bank account go. Yeah, I know you're not You're trying to be with the best and you're trying to push yourself, but nobody's paying you for that. So at some point I had to stop. I have to go. I had to go back and work. And and so, again, sorry, I ramble. But part in answering your question, what what happens is you get into the process. You dive deep into it. Then you practice a little bit, then you go back, make some money again, and then you do it all, mm -hmm. all over again. And so uh, the second part of that process was getting a camera and just shooting whatever mm -hmm. it was, just getting a crew together, starting out with a small crew of five, then that grew to 10, then to 15, then 20. And then all of a sudden, you know, we had hundreds of people on set. And so you just, wow. yeah, you just do it and do it and do it and do it. Um, and so what is next now is this uh, project, the Slumberland project. That's, that's where all my attention is focused now. Right. So now please tell us, tell our listeners, pimp the shit out of this. Like, <laughs> like, like t t tell us about Slumberland, please. Sure. So I I'm going to try to like 
be very concise because I, again, I get really passionate about this. So if you guys see me just rambling, like pull me Dude, back, guys, pull me back. It's totally fine because I'm just sitting here like a little kid. Like keep talking. This is amazing. Yeah. yeah. No, dude, this is this is a long form podcast. Like this is awesome. Yeah. yeah keep going, man. You're the, good. The more you talk, the less we have to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So basically, I'll I'll tell you the story behind the story first, and then and then I'll tell you why it's going to blow people's brains away. Okay. So <laughs> the real story behind it, because this is inspired from a, from a true, true story of my personal life. So I have a brother who's 14 years younger than, than me. He's, he's a toddler. He's a, re- a little kid. But um, like I mentioned before, I've been traveling the globe looking for these masters. And I've also sort of made these a lot of sacrifices in my own life to try to pursue my dream and so forth. So what happened was my brother and I got separated and uh, we love each other very much, but we weren't able to, you know, we weren't able to connect or see each other a lot. So when he was a little kid, whenever I used to fly back to Mexico, that's where he lived, um, you know, we had like two or three or four days together tops. And I was like, oh man, how do I like maximize the experience with him? So what I did is I started telling him stories at night because he didn't want to go to bed. And I told him these stories about Slumberland. And I was like, yeah, there's these two brothers and they go on adventures and, and this and this and that. And then the adventures, when I narrated them to him, there were, there were bits and pieces of my life that happened to me that I thought maybe if I share these with him in a magical kind of mis- whimsical way, he'll find his own morals and, and, and his, he'll find like a, a, his own compass and he won't need me to be here this whole time. So that's what I did. So I started telling him the stories and that went on for years, for years. And then at some point, you know, he grew older and he was like, hey, man, this is this is kind of bullshit. These, you know, I'm, I don't remember any of these stories. What's up? And I was like, no, 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 no. There is there's a book. There's a secret book. I'll bring it to you. Just got to behave. And he was like, all right, fine. So then what I did is I, I went back to my studio and I started illustrating for months. And I illustrated this bestiary, this like massive gallery of creatures and and characters from from slumberland and i remember you know i dipped it in coffee and then i burned it a little bit and i took i took the prints back to him and i'm like look man i brought it and he was like whoa (laughs) (laughs) and then and then so we continued and then uh when i shot the actual trailer um you know the teaser uh, i i brought him on set and i showed him the process and he was you know just blown away with the entire thing so that's sort of where the story originated from it was it was this connection this very intimate connection between my brother and i and and that's the heart that's the real heart of the story was it was just trying to find a way for me to connect with my family with my brother and and you know trying to find a world where we could travel at night and just at least imagine or at least hope that we had seen each other the last night so that was the origin of the story. You just made Brian cry. I'm, 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 <laughs> Sorry, well, Brian. I'm glassy-eyed, yeah. yeah. Because I, I keep thinking back to, I know it's not even remotely the same, but I just thinking about you know, to the adventure Sean and I would have. Something as simple as us trying to make the Ghostbusters outfits and like be <laughs> the Ghostbusters. Or uh... plus, it it rings true with us because we were we were pretty much inseparable until I moved to Colorado, and we barely see each other now. So. Yeah, it really, it really cuts right to the heart of us, Feta. You're, you're melting my icy black heart. <laughs> well, you know, to be honest with you, I, I think that that is the phenomena of our generation that, that you know, the globalized world is pushing people uh, further in search of their dream or in search of just survival. 
Uh, and it is, it is quite frankly ripping families apart. It does come at a price. And so we have to find ways of reconnecting. We have to find ways to maintain those bonds because they are important. They are very important. So yeah, so anyway, so I had the story and, and you know, had hundreds of pages of loose episodes or, or just random things, you know, it wasn't a cohesive linear story. So eventually I met with one of these um, writers that were very accomplished and he said to me, you know, you got something special here. Why don't you try making a script out of it? And so I did. And that's the script that I showed Berta and, and she saw it and she was like, okay, cool. I think you got something special here. Um, and then when I told her the full story, she was like, well, what are you doing? Why are you trying to condense this into uh, 120 minutes of storytelling? Why don't you just go with it and just write a whole thing? And that's what I did, man. I, I just, I just started developing and, and it just, it's, it's this massive world. And so the thing that I'm really excited about is that, you know, we are presenting it to the crowdfunding community as the first ever cinematic universe because it is a universe. There is so much mythology to this um, that it's just, it's, it's like I said, I promise you, it is going to blow people's minds. It's going to be very exciting. And it's visually stunning. Yes. I, yeah, it's the, you know, watching the, the teaser for it myself, I was just, I was blown away by, by the scope that's being presented in just that teaser. So it looks like there's a lot of room for expansion. And I am really interested kind of on your, on how you like to go through the storytelling process. You know, is it really, are you focused on the episodes, each kind of having their own sort of more like moral direction? Or, you know, how are you approaching each episode? Sure. Um, so the weird thing about this project is usually I have a pretty linear linear way of writing and really systematic. I'm 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 a really systematic kind of guy. I I'm not kidding you. Like I will look at my breakfast plate and just sort of divide the eggs in one <laughs> section and then <laughs> it's really weird. It's not funny. <laughs> I do the same thing. I get um, it. But so I usually have this really systematic way of approaching the creative process. But with this, with Slumberland, with Sebastian's Odyssey. It's it it's really strange. I actually started dreaming, having lucid dreams about pieces of the story. So I would wake up in the middle of the night and write them out, um, and then drive my wife crazy. You know, sometimes I was like, "Oh my god, I just had another story for Slumberland." She was like, "Oh my god, just stop and <laughs> go to sleep." I know, go to sleep, and, and I couldn't. And and so what I had it was just these random assortments of of you know, sprinkled stories. And then when I looked at the whole thing together, this constellation of stories, I started connecting the dots and started developing, um, you know, the episodes, the series. But uh, having said that, um, I'm, I'm really, like the thing that is the most exciting to me about it is this. When you write a movie for a studio or for a commercial project, or, you know, you, you, you're, you're trying to please an audience, which is totally fine. You, we, nobody writes for himself. Everybody writes for an audience. Mm -hmm. That's totally fine. But the amount of commitment that you have to pleasing someone is very high. When I'm doing Slumberland, and I'm sorry, guys, but I don't care about what you guys have to say about it. In, in that I'm not writing it with trying to please you in mind. I'm writing it with trying to share something f with you. Whether you like it or not, or you would connect with it or not, that's totally your, on your end. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to try to like massage it so I can fit it into this demographic. It's like, fuck it. This is my story. This is what I have to say. Yeah. And I'm going to say it this way. And I, w I hope that you find something in value in it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So what that means awesome. is like none of the characters mm -hmm. are black or white. There's no good guys or bad guys. 
every single character is flawed and fucked up and they're just trying to do the best with what they have. And they're trapped in these two different worlds and, and the way they cope with these two worlds is what brings out this very deep narrative about the world. Yeah, It's awesome and it's also refreshing because I think there's a stunning lack of that kind of approach to storytelling these days. We're starting to see more of the com- complete characters, full characters that are flawed just like all of us human beings on Earth that are going to go see these movies are. And I think that you are fighting the good fight, sir. Well, it's, it's <laughs> thank the, you, thank you. You know, it's the, the fight against pandering, is, um, right? I don't know if you yeah. guys ever were fans of, of movies like Willow or Neverending Story. Oh, my Legend. God. Oh, oh never, I, I seriously, no, no joke. I was watching the teaser and I was like, it's like Neverending Story. Like, that was the first thing that popped into my head. I'm so glad you said that because I, I didn't want to like sort of cheap in what you were doing but i was just like oh it's so reminiscent to that fantasy no, i appreciate it i mean if you if you sort of think about those movies right there was there was something about them that it, that was personal it was it was somebody had a vision about these mythological worlds and what happened is that the 80s was an era where the studios were not completely controlled by the wall street suits and and there were still a lot of really creative people that came from uh, um, backgrounds where mythology was studied, and so a lot mm-hmm. of these people yeah. were sorry. A lot of these projects had a lot of mythology. Um, they had a different type of narrative behind them, and that's the kind of magical world that influenced me when I was a little kid. So with Slumberland um, and Sebastian's Odyssey, what happens is I I've been spending my creative juices in my life trying to trying to bring forth my internal mythology and my views on the world and my mystical questions about reality and present them to you that's what i'm trying to do now you know like i said whether that works for some people or not i don't know i don't care yes <laughs> yeah. Awesome. yeah i mean that, what's important is that we all do that because we all have a very specific way of looking at the world and every single way is valuable so we need that we need plurality we need diversity and so Again, what's happening in Sebastian is you have basically you have your characters, right? And then each character has their arc and they have their problems. And some of their situations, some of their internal processes are not completely solved. And then you have the world, the real world where there are social where there's a social context and a social critique of what's happening according to me. And then you have the dream world, which is a completely fucked up place where it's just this, your subconscious spitting out crap, right? And I think the magic of the show is to be able to weave in these stories and follow these two brothers through this journey and show you, introduce you to this world that will leave you asking so many more questions. And that's what I want. I don't want to solve the answers and give you the answers. I want to to present you a lot of questions. That's that's really great. And I I think... um you know, we kind of talked about this before, and I've been dying to talk to you about this now on the show. Um, You know, I feel like, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you felt like there was a lack of maybe subtlety or or metaphor in, um, in movie making. Now, we talked about this a little bit before the the podcast. And so, um, you know, you were talking before you wrote an article about George Miller and his approach and why you're really excited about him doing Man of Steel, too. So I want to just let you talk about that, because that was ridiculously fascinating thank you well but my whole thing is this like like we were talking about iron man and how cool that was and it was great and it's a great origin movie right and and all of a sudden we get this wave of really fun massive superhero movies right and they're phenomenal i love them they're they're, I, i i go in there and i watch them and they're really well done and what the 
one of the reasons they're very masterful is not because they're doing very heavy character exploration or this or that. It's because they are exploiting different genres, right? We have comedy, sci-fi comedy. We have um, horror now with uh, Mr. Um, what's his name? Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. He's doing Mr. Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. Strange. Right. So they're talking about yep. jumping into horror, blah, blah, blah. Nice. So what's happening is there's this exploration of genre, which is great. It's fun. You have very solid writing, which is great. But what's missing is, for me, and, and I know it's a lot of people going to get angry about this, but just, just follow me, all right? <laughs> but what's missing is the deep mythology within the characters that speak about the metaphor of what their powers really mean, right? Yeah. So this is, so just to give you an example, I'm rewriting um, uh, my own little version of, of Superman. Oh. oh. <laughs> the magic word. <laughs> <laughs> and so in, in, in my world, Superman is, is wh what is Superman? Who wrote Superman, right? R Superman was, was written by Jewish immigrants, okay? And the story about Superman is not about a guy that can lift cars and fight communism or whatever. The, the real heart of Superman is about immigration. It's about being in a different place and not being able to fit in and still have incredible gifts to offer. That's... That's the heart of it. Oh my what God. we're seeing right now is spectacle. It's beautiful. It's fucking phenomenal. It's fun, but it's spectacle. There is no way you can relate to Superman blowing up Manhattan. I don't care yeah. about him or exploring the physics of how hot his eyes get when he melts steel. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. What the, why do I care about that? You know, it's fun, but, but it doesn't go beyond that. So, so what I want to do, for example, in this version of, of Superman, is I want to talk about something that is incredibly relevant to the world, which is human migration, refugees, mm -hmm. immigrants, people moving all over the world and, and sort of acquiring these, this status of less than human just because they are moving from place to place, right? And the notion that these people are worthless. Well, what would happen if Superman, if somebody that had invaluable gifts was a Syrian refugee, was a Mexican worker, was this yeah. or that? I was just I was just about to say that I was like, you what what you want to bring to Superman is so relevant to what's going on in our world right now. And that might actually aid in something as risky as that being able to become a reality. Yeah. I, I was just listening to you say that and I was thinking that, you know, no one has ever done the fact that Superman is an alien and that he has difficulty like assimilating. Assimilating. Well, they touched they touched on that more than they have in the past with the new Man of Steel. But then, like it's you get to a certain amount of that, and then, like Fetty said, it just goes straight to spectacle. Right, right. And again, which is totally fine. It, there, there's a, yeah. there's a really good place for that. But when the problem for filmmakers is when spectacle becomes a three hundred million dollar production, and then all of a sudden there's only room for three hundred million dollar productions. What does the rest of the what do the rest of the directors do? Mm -hmm. Right. You know what I mean? It it sort of makes it very difficult to make something original. So um, going back to the question of spectacle versus mythology and, and um, metaphor, uh, you were talking, Sean, you were talking about uh, Star Wars, right? Star yeah. Wars is one of the most influential pieces of fantasy film ever made, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and of course it's influential because it's cool. There's a lot of really beautiful elements. Um, and, and now, you know, Disney's going to make billions off of it, which is great. But the reason that that movie got to where it, it, it got, on my point of view, just my own humble view on it, it's because it has a extremely deep mythology about the hero's journey, right? It yep. absolutely touches on every single 
uh, archetypal point of the hero's journey. And why is that relevant? Because you can actually connect to that. The journey into adventure is something that we can all connect to in our lives. So it becomes relevant. And so that's the power of story. That's the power of metaphor. That, that there's no reason why we can't say we want to entertain, but we can also connect on a, on a human experiential level. There's room for both. And so, so that's why Star Wars, you know, is a big hit because a lot of people can relate to that struggle, to being, you know, a small fish and then going into this massive universe and developing your own skills and going through trials and tribulations and getting the aid of a master and a helper. And these are things that happen in everybody's life. So I think what's happening right now is that, that a lot of these movies don't have that deep human connection. And, and like, I, like I said, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just worth pointing out. It's completely worth pointing mm -hmm. out. Well, and, and, and that's why you said that, you know, you liked... Um, Mad Max Fury Road so much is because you felt like it was it had a lot of that subtlety and um, you know really explored the characters right um, and and it didn't do it in a way that was just all pander and spectacle right and we, well we, we, let me let me tell you something about about George Miller that I think is brilliant please because I'm I'm so so excited to share this with you guys when you symbolism is incredibly important right and and multi layered symbolism allows you to discover things right and so. You take George Miller, right? And he does Happy Feet and he does Penguins and musicals. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden he, he comes back and does this movie, right? And in the movie, there's a very particular scene that got my attention. And, and that scene is, is uh, this guy, uh, I think his name is Nux, and he's painting chrome all over his mouth. And he's like, I'm super chrome and I'm going to, you know, witness me, witness me. And then everybody in that in that culture needs to be witnessed in order to be valuable. Okay? Mm -hmm. Think about that. Does that not remind you of a culture of narcissism right now in which every single person wants to be an uh, Instagram star, a YouTube star? Everybody's screaming, witness me. Yep. Yep. So the ability for a director to touch on that in a, such a subtle manner is brilliant. Oh, yeah. my and God. Did it detract from the movie? Nope. Nope. Dude, I'm so fucking glad you said that because like we, we talked about Miller and the Mad Max movies a couple months ago, and we love 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 that he can do these awesome spectacle action movies but yet like hearing that like it's you know his response to social issues and that's that's the process that his brain goes through how to make it relevant is just so fascinating and the combination of if, if you want to dive deeper into it the combination of this narcissistic culture with also the objectification of women, which is also hugely touched on in the movie. It's like this huge portrait of our society flipped on its side and, and put through this amazing science fiction, dystopian, apocalyptic George Miller lens. Nice. Absolutely. I love that. And and listen, the other thing that, that, that I think this movie has not gotten enough credit for is the following. When you are exploring the hero genre, right? And the mythology of the hero's journey. There's plenty of, of missions for the hero. But one of the lesser uh, touched upon mythologies is the mythology of rejuvenation and of uh, healing the planet, healing the world. And I'm not talking mm -hmm. about the physical world. It, it, this, is, this is all in reference to the internal world, right? So what happens in Mad Max is that Max and spoilers, spoilers, spoilers ahead, right? <laughs> we spoil the fuck out of our movie. Yeah, we so already spoiled it yeah. pretty well. So yeah, <laughs> go ahead, man. So, so, so Max is not the hero. 
He, right. he is not uh, the, the adventurer. He is not the guy with the balls to go against the system. That's Furiosa, right? Furiosa is, is she's part of the system. That's why she has uh, the, me the mechanical arm, just like Luke Skywalker had the cybernetic arm. It's a, it's a reference. It's a mythological reference to being part of a system, right? And so she is initiating this process of um, healing the planet, basically. She's going to bring life back to the planet. So in a sense, that's a very, and this has nothing to do with gender, but that is what is called a female-based myth. You are regenerating, you're giving life to mm -hmm. the world, right? But the way he did it is he flipped it so that Furiosa, the female character, is the actual you know, hero, the strong hero with the sword and blah, 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 that does the journey. And Max is the life giver. Think about this. He starts out giving blood to Nux. Mm -hmm. And it mm -hmm. is because he gives him that blood that Nux can be reborn as a different person. He, uh, Furiosa dies and he gives blood to Furiosa. Mm -hmm. And that is how Furiosa is be able to be reborn into the queen. She goes from hero to queen, mm -hmm. right? So he is the life giver. So what Miller is doing is he's flipping the mythology and turning the gender associations that we usually have with heroes on their head. And he's telling us it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Either way, you're super valuable because you both have heroic functions that you can perform I yeah because without it. either of them that the the ending of that movie can't happen without both of them working together exactly and so what happens when you have uh um uh what's her name um i, I forget the woman that's playing superwoman and she says oh my god i'm so excited to to be playing superwoman because i'm finally going to be portraying women as heroes because we're going to be as strong as men and you look at that and you say well that's really basic and stupid why because you are you you're basically saying that the only way that a the, the female hero could be a hero is by imitating the man yeah and that's stupid that's really yeah. stupid heroism doesn't have yeah. to do with any gender associations well yeah, yeah. So and that's why i loved uh miller because in miller's movie the goddesses they play a role the mothers play a role this you know what i mean everybody yeah. has a role that is not gender specific and that's yeah brilliant. and and i think also it really kind of does fly in the face a little bit of the strong female character as that like that term has been thrown around so much, the strong female character, and that just you have to just assume that that's the one who's the one the one who's kicking ass, right? But it's like you can have that ass kicking woman, but there's still no depth to her character. There's she's still just an ass kicking lamp instead of a sexy lamp, you know? Right. <laughs> so <laughs> right, right. So it's like it's like you know, pick a thing, you know, and and this is saying that there's nuance to it. Everybody has a heroic part to play in the story. Um, something that makes them a more full-fledged character. Absolutely. I think one of the things that is awesome about Wonder Woman mm -hmm. is that, yes, she does have all of these powers, and she can throw it on if she needs to, but her first objective is not to do that. Her first objective is to resolve the conflict through different means, if, if possible. You don't have to imitate male tropes to yeah. to prove your worth, to prove your supremacy, or to prove your, your might. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, this is this was great. Dude, I love having Can you be on the show all the time? Yeah, like, please. <laughs> yeah, we know you're busy and we don't pay anything, but be here always. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> We're sitting here gobsmacked because you are so insightful. I wish we had more guys like you working in Hollywood. Seriously. Yeah. So, Seriously. So I we need uh, clone yourself a thousand times. <laughs> no, guys, thank you. I, I really appreciate the kind comments. I think there are a lot of very talented people. I think there are very passionate people. But the thing is, 
you know, it's a system, and, and, and it's primarily a, a money-making system. And when you are playing around with other people's money, you can't be that courageous. You can't be, you know what I mean? There's a lot of interests involved. And so we have to just understand that whether there are a lot of very creative people are not in this street doesn't matter because what matters is that eventually everybody has to compromise. And, and, and yep. having said that, though, that's nobody's fault except our own, the audience. The audience that rewards the movies mm-hmm. that keep on just producing more movies that don't leave anything else. You know what I mean? Like, like we, we say, like, oh, my God, I'm so tired of, of seeing remakes. And what do we do? We go to the remake premiere. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Like, I, I, I was really upset when I saw that Ronda Rousey is going to be <laughs> the lead in the new Roadhouse. I was like, how dare you touch Roadhouse? But I'm going to go see it. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm going to go see it. Exactly. Because I want to like, see Ronda Rousey rip someone's throat out. <laughs> it's it's literally the moment from Fitzgerald where you go, shut up and take my money. Yep. You know, yeah. because you want to see her kick ass. You want to see that spectacle unfortunately it's it's that kick of endorphins well, it's, the thing that bothers me is like if we just want to see ronda rousey do it that's awesome can somebody write a new story to put her in yep. yeah and exactly. make her rip out her throat in a different movie <laughs> <laughs> all right driving miss daisy reboot <laughs> ronda rousey rips the driver's throat out <laughs> or or you have ronda be the driver and just wait yep. and see yeah. how much she can take up yeah. <laughs> oh my God! It'll be about her versus Miss Daisy. <laughs> if there's anybody here who can make this happen, it's you, Fetty. So you start calling people. I'm in. Miss <laughs> Daisy, can she be a secret cyborg? <laughs> yes. Yes. Cyborg driver Ronda Rousey rips out the throat of an old woman. Yes. <laughs> I'm so sold. For Driving Miss Daisy 2.0. Is the cyborg. Oh, yes. that's the plot twist. That's amazing. <laughs> Fetty, I think I speak for everybody when I say um, you are always fucking well. Welcome on this <laughs> podcast. Yes, um, you are. Please keep us up to date on Slumberland. Please, like, have a. We want you back on once this mm-hmm. project gets funded because it's so good. Yeah. That how can you not fund this, listeners? How can you not want to give this dude your money? <laughs> Come on, give it all the mortgage your all fucking house. <laughs> so, Fetty, why don't you go I ahead? Appreciate and- that's, again, that's super kind of you. I, I, I have nothing but, but you know, given I've given this project my soul, my heart, my everybody that that has supported me doing it has done the same thing. And part of breaking the paradigm of doing stories is that we we did have the possibility of going through the studio system. We do have the possibility of doing those things. But the reason we're taking this risk is because, first of all, this is the best way to maintain the integrity of the story. But most importantly, it is a, a channel. It offers us a channel of communication with the backers, with people that are interested in the project so that they can be an active participant in the project. So let me explain what that means. So what we're doing with the project is this. We have certain uh, reward levels, and mm. basically what, the, what you do, and some of them don't even involve money. Some of them are just kind of like, if you don't have money, doesn't matter. We want you to participate, right? And some of what these rewards are is like, we'll say, okay, you want to be a dream hunter, you want to be a creative person, fuck it, join the team, Meet with us on Skype every single creative meeting and see what it takes to do this process. Wow. Oh, you wanna you wanna actually jump into it deeply? Great. Uh, here's our team of fucking world class uh, character designers and creature designers. You're going to command them to create your own creature. Now, 
Nice. That's that is so something that cool. I've never seen before, and I'm really excited to be able to offer that. I, I'm thinking about draining my bank account right now to do that. Can I do that? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I want you to do is let people know how, how do they get – how do they fund this? Do they just type Slumberland into Google and it will pop up, or do they go to Kickstarter? Do they go to GoFundMe? Where do they go? So we the official launch is Tuesday, October 6th. Uh, and it will be live on Kickstarter. In the meantime, they can check out uh, SebastiansOdyssey.com. Uh, they can, uh, they, like you were saying, you, you can Google it on, um, you can Google it, and then you can search on Prefundia, which is like a pre-registering platform. Nice. Uh, yeah, or you can register directly on the website. You can go to the Facebook community and register there. There's all sorts of ways to keep in touch, and and then once we launch on October sixth, is we you know this is we get like a few days, like one or two days to hit it as hard as we can because those are the most important days. Sure. And you know that's it, man. Like when we go live, we go live. There's no turning back, and you know I, I'm just I'm just really excited to to bring this project to life, and and you know I don't want it to die, man. I don't want it to die, and 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 I I don't I know that there's a lot of um, hard put into this but also i feel like you guys are cutting me off and i think i feel like this is a goodbye so i don't want to end the show yet oh okay (laughs) keep going (laughs) i'm getting separation anxiety already oh no (laughs) well what else is on your mind petty (laughs) oh my you guys can ask me whatever you want i can tell you about the uh I can tell you about the Superman project. I have a few other projects in line that will come after uh, Sebastian's Odyssey. I have some sci-fi pieces that that I've been writing. Um, nice. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff back there. So you're you're like pretty much just loaded up and ready to go as soon as you're done with one project, you're ready to work on the next, right? Oh yes, yes. That's there, awesome. there, there's stuff in the in the pipelines. We have. I'll give you. I'll give you just a small sample. I have a, a little pitch for you guys. I have a project. It's a sci-fi piece. Uh, it's called Scions. And it's basically, you guys are going to get the exclusive. I haven't told anybody about it. Cool. I love it. I'm so excited. Nice. Uh, But science is a story about, it takes place in in the actual world. And there's a man who is the most powerful man in the world. He owns a financial institution that is in charge of loaning money to the entire world. But this man is... 6,000 years old, okay? Whoa. Nobody knows if he's a vampire, an alien, a robot. Nobody knows what the hell is going on. All we know is this guy's been around forever. People kind of accept it. And he's just there. And part of the mystery of the story is that we, we don't know what the hell he is. What does he want? We don't know. But all of a sudden, the story begins when he announces that he's finally going to die. And he's looking to inherit his entire empire to one person. Wow. And that's where the story starts. Nice. Wow. So people are just going to start duking it out, right? It's just going to be <laughs> everybody fighting. We get we get uh, three candidates from, from all over the world. And they get chosen. And you have no idea why these candidates get chosen. Because they come from extremely different walks of life. And, uh, you know, the, the adventure for these characters begins when they enter the tower. And they have to go through these trials and you know we got to figure out what the hell they're doing there, and and it's just it's just like I said, it's just a lot of questions. I, I like building questions for people. It sounds like like Willy Wonka on crack a little bit, where it's <laughs> <laughs> like all these three people get the golden ticket, and then all of a sudden you have to like prove your worth. Like that's that sounds really cool. I'm I am so down for that project. That's radical. Too. Yeah. That's good. Sounds like you got a lot of good ideas brewing in your head. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I don't know if they're good, but there's a lot of them for sure. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Well, you don't know until you try. Mm-hmm. And I hope you're still making time for for illustrating and sculpting and, and doing some of that other stuff as well. Unfortunately. No. Oh, <laughs> say it ain't so. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it gets really tough. I mean, it, it's like, I, I, I started, my brain can only like do certain things at, at one moment and um, you know, when I was doing a lot of visual effects, I, ha- I had to learn a lot of different pieces of software and I had to learn coding. And then, you know, now that I'm directing, I'm learning other technical things. So I feel like, you know, I have to like unlearn something in order to learn something new. <laughs> like my brain's getting a little bit tight in there. Um, so, so yeah, I haven't been able to practice the illustration and, and sculpting. Uh, well, well, I'm sure you'll still be able to come back to it eventually. Our first loves usually do. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, they do. Yeah, but I, I still love that that's where your background is, though, because, you know, once this project gets funded, and it will be funded, <laughs> right, everybody? That's yes. what I thought. Um, is that that background can inform your process with talking with the art directors and talking with, like, all that whole process, right? And so it, it's just, it's going to be, and obviously it has because of the work we've seen preliminarily, too. It's just like, it it clearly is nurtured and will continue to nurture your work. And if you do ever go back to it, your filmmaking work is going to nurture your illustration and your sculpting. So it's like, it's yeah. And symbiotic. 3d animation is just a different, it's just, it's sculpting, but with a different medium. Mm-hmm. So the, the fact that you came from that background means that you, you can do like, let's just say an EMP blows up and the entire world <laughs> has no more electronics. You're like, I can still make fucking Slumberland. It's just going to be stop motion. <laughs> <laughs> Old school shit. I love and it. Just travel around doing a puppet show version. Slumberland, <laughs> <laughs> the puppet show. That's kind of creepy. I like it. <laughs> It'll turn into cave shadows. <laughs> yeah. Sarah will make you puppets. She's very crafty. She's yeah. really good. I actually, mm-hmm. I have uh, Pulp Fiction finger puppets here that she made me that are on the wall. Those nice. are pretty cool, actually. I like the little guns. That is really nice. Yep. <laughs> yeah, the guns make, make the whole thing. Sarah, you're awesome. No, but I love those you, you know why, Sean? Just, just uh, you said something that I really, really sparked something in me, and I, and I want to. I would love to like sort of touch on it a little bit, and that is that, um, you know, I think it's worth saying that the ability to imagine, the ability to dream, is really important. Not not just for our you know sort of uh, entertainment, but if you read a little bit about Einstein's life, Albert Einstein, right, mathematician, he used to do these exercises where he would close his eyes and actually visualize and dream the entire mathematical sequence of his problem, right, and the ability to do that in our own lives, not not particularly do the mathematical part, but, but to the ability to sit down and close your eyes and imagine a life for yourself and visualize what you want to do and visualize an entire process and give your life clarity is paramount, right? It, it gives you direction, even though it won't end the way you want, which is fine. That's life. It's, that's why life is beautiful. But the ability to imagine, to create to spark that life within you and then project it onto the outward. That that can't die. We have to keep that alive. And that and that comes out I mean what you guys are doing right now, that's it that's what this is. This is this is the collective of creative minds that wanted to talk about things that they loved and they wanted to connect with people and they wanted to share a world. And so you guys are creating that world. And so if you sit down and you visualize and say, how do we imagine this evolving into the future? That power, the, the power to dream about what you guys want is 
amazing. It's incredible. And and that's something that, that needs to be nurtured and it doesn't depend on 3D tools, sculpting, or drawing. That that just depends on your own mind process. I feel like you should teach seminars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you should be an artistic motivational speaker. Um, <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> because like I want like all of us are like let's go do something let's just make a thing yeah, I mean, like, you need to be doing panels at e3 you need to be doing panels at comic-con right you need to be doing panels everywhere telluride film festival toronto film everything mm -hmm. just be just talk talk to people <laughs> that's amazing that's when you amazing. have time i know you're busy <laughs> Well, we do need to wrap up the podcast just because um, if we don't, our computer might actually explode on us right now. <laughs> We've been so, having so many hiccups that we haven't been telling you guys about. <laughs> this is not usual at all, but yeah. Know. Yeah. Uh, we, we just had a guest on last week and we had no no issues. No so. issues whatsoever. Yeah, so. so it was weird. It's because your greatness. Yeah. <laughs> your greatness is system. infecting the system. <laughs> it's, How's yeah. that for a role switch? He's the one. He's, he is, the, he's the one. one. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, is all the, is the is the flattery gratuitous enough for you? Would you like more? <laughs> oh, he's blushing. Yeah. It's but it's one hundred percent sincere. We promise. Um, we're not worthy. <laughs> we're we not worthy. We're scum. <laughs> um, as I said before, always fucking welcome back on this podcast, dude. Seriously, if if you just want to like come back and like talk. I think Brian has a bit of a crush. Yeah, we'll just go, welcome to Nerds Superman. on Film, I'm blah, 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 and then we'll turn our mics off. And, like, <laughs> and yeah, I, it probably was the Superman take that like yep. got me yep. hooked. So, um, All you gotta do is mention Superman, and Brian's just like, ah. <laughs> heart eyes. Exactly. Um, so thank you, thank you so much for coming on to our yeah. show. Yes, and really good luck with the car the Kickstarter. I think it, honestly to me it sounds like it's going to just fund itself, but mm -hmm. um you know, we're obviously going to do our best here to to promote it. Listeners, listeners, please. Call to arms. Yes. <laughs> if ever there was a call to arms. No. Now is the time. <laughs> On October 6th, you said. October 6th is the launch date mm -hmm. of the Kickstarter project. Have all your friends give all of their money yes. to this guy. Sebastian's Nerds and countrymen alike. <laughs> yeah, we can live on. You can live on cup of noodles for a bit. You'll yeah. be fine. Maybe not if you have like a heart condition because the sodium might right. kill you. Just but a note here for anybody that is upset with the flavor of cup of noodles. If you throw one to three packets of Taco Bell fire sauce into it, oh it makes all the difference. Damn, son. That you are a culinary <laughs> genius, sir. <laughs> All right. Um, more like a culinary MacGyver. Okay, okay. It's like, throw together what you've got. Yeah. We should, uh, do you want to get into some feedback? Sure. Listener feedback. Yeah. All right. So we got a little bit of listener feedback. We got, yeah, we got a lot in like the last few days. I know. Like, it all dumped on us. And I know. People want to say, what's up? You tell, you tell. You just drop the hint. We don't have much feedback. And all of us are like, oh, we'll just want to talk to you. Yeah. The furiosity of their typing is intense. Uh, so let's start with uh, our good old friend, Athena, mm. uh, who is uh, one of our followers. And uh, she talked about how she absolutely loved the late August release episode. Yay. And she said that ever since uh, I uttered that on the podcast, she laughs when she thinks of bad movies. This episode when you talked about movie theaters uh she worked at one actually 
back in the day, about 10 years ago. And she saw just about every movie that uh, came out back then, even the terrible ones. And she, I'm not going to quote her. Um, as I wonder what was a late August release for 2004. Well, if you go to thefilmjabber.com, you can find out. Um, uh, and as she talked about the show, we all worked on holidays. I actually enjoyed working on Halloween. I convinced the manager to let me dress up. I wore a big, poofy, formal dress, put on a tiara, and swept up the popcorn from the theater floors after the movies were over. Brilliant. As a princess. That's awesome. Uh, the heels were probably a bad choice. Yes, those were a bad choice. <laughs> they always uh, are. I recently started listening to Nerds on Film from the very beginning. Only four in. I haven't listened to all of them yet. More feedback to come soon. Um wow. Yeah. Backlogs. That's so. Thanks for sharing that. Like, I love. Definitely. I love hearing that people because a lot of film nerds have that one little like six month or more period where they worked at a movie theater scraping up popcorn or what have you just because they wanted to be part of the movie. Did you ever have that opportunity? <laughs> no, I <laughs> unfortunately did not. But I always, always dreamed of. I really, really always wanted to work uh, in, the, in the film theater. I was. Cool I chance. always thought it'd be fun to work at like a classic movie theater. Oh my god! Like no. yeah, like one that just. I wanted. Yeah, you want to be the guy from Last Action Hero, <laughs> who like rips the magic ticket and he's like, "Go into your world of majesty." <laughs> Still I got mean, the little top, like the little like bellhop style hat and the red velvet coat. I mean, duh. <laughs> That's a good look. Are you kidding me? Hell yeah. Well, I have a piece of feedback. It's from my uh, recently dubbed nerd nemesis slash best friend, Benjamin Baker. Benjamin um, Baker. Who has responded to after we Alanized his uh, feedback. Oh, my God. Oh, Fetty. Uh, Alan is, an, is the intrusive hipster ghost who occasionally takes over our bodies. And he talks like this. And he likes infinity scarves and espressos. <laughs> He lives in Portland. <laughs> uh, the The subject line is, lesson learned. When an email is meant just for you, not to be read on air, I will specify in the future, unless at that moment, I want to be perceived as a pretentious douche. <laughs> thanks, for thanks for bestowing the Allen voice on me for a brief moment. As And as my best friends call me a proto-hipster, it is fitting. Also, I definitely rock a fedora when it's cold. Scarves are for chumps, though. <laughs> Suspenders, too. See below. I have a few more things written up. This just seemed funny for some reason. And uh, just for the sake of not reading something that he didn't want us to read, I will leave it at that. But, Benjamin, we're sorry. Yes, definitely give us a disclaimer saying you don't want us to read your feedback yeah. on the episode. But uh, he also made a video where he turned into Alan halfway through the it video. It was so oh my awesome. God, was so if you guys funny. can go to our Facebook page and check that video out because he posted on there, it is brilliant. It almost makes me not want to do Alan anymore <laughs> because he is truly Alan. Now. <laughs> yeah, he became the legit yeah. real deal Alan. And um, he's a cutie. Yeah, we do. You're a cutie pie. We, uh, we do have more feedback. Oh, yeah. Roxy wants to jump inside your pants. Shut we up. forgot to say Shut that. Oh, my God. <laughs> she wants to jump in fist deep. That's what she wants. It's okay. Benjamin she has a girlfriend, She wants to lick so you fine. from deep V to your chin. <laughs> She's Let's say that. literally schwitzing in here. I love the look on Teddy's face right now. She's like, oh, dear God. What, what just happened? <laughs> what just happened? Um, it's okay because Benjamin's got a girlfriend. So yeah. It, don't, no worries. Uh, anyway. Good. And now Roxy has an enemy to murder. Right. <laughs> uh, we do have more feedback, but we're going to save it for the next episode. So, folks, please, as we said before, go to Fetty's website, SebastianJodice.com. See about the project, about Slumberland. And stay tuned for October 6th when that Kickstarter project launches and give them all your money. All of it. Every, every red cent. Um, Fetty, again, thank you. Seriously, your passion and your wisdom is like... 
inspirational, truly inspirational. So keep at it, man. I I just have a feeling. I have a feeling that like this is going to be a big thing. It really will be. You do you, boo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as it turns out, guys, you know, since we were on the subject of feedback, how can you give us feedback? Well, you can go to nerdonomy.com if you want to hit us up and click that talk to us button. Um, you While you're there, you can also click the donate button if you're feeling kind of generous. Or if you want to get something out of it, go to our merch page. Buy an awesome t-shirt. You can also go to audibletrial.com slash nerdonomy if you're looking to try out some audiobooks. Um, or you can also um, click any of our Amazon banners and uh, on our website, and that'd be totally awesome. If you want to just hit us up on social media, though, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. We're just Nerdonomy. Google us. You'll find us. I promise yeah. you. And I would normally say, yeah, that's great. Like, you know, Audible t-shirts and like donations are always mm-hmm. good. But fuck that this time. Give, yeah. your money to, give your money to Fetty. Yeah, Seriously. do that. <laughs> Seriously. Don't do, do, skip this month in donations yeah. and just... Save save that cash. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, and you know what, nerds? It is that time. So until we meet again, stay nerdy and tune into our next exciting episode. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Bye. See ya. Bye. Bye. And roll credits. And now, famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. Uh, how about uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Titanic? I'm the king of the world. <laughs> <laughs> That's not fair. I've screamed that mid-coitus. <laughs> and I did have my arms out, which was bad for balance. I immediately yeah. fell and crushed my significant other. <laughs> and then fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, I was like, ah, yeah. And so that's how her life ended. Um, I think think that whole interaction is what we're doing.